Hi, diddly ho, preparinos. This is Nat, the preparedness guy, and this is Preparedness Works. First, let's hear from our sponsor. Sawyer products offer the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, water, and injuries. Everything from insect repellents to water filtration. The filters are used in disaster situations all around the world. So, whether you are in the backcountry or in the backyard, check out Sawyer.com to learn more. Today we have a special guest. We have Jen. Sorry, we have Jenna from Granite Hill Homestead. Welcome to the show, Jenna. Hello, good to be here. So I was following you on Instagram. Um, I think I've been following you since you were in your previous um, account, and you mm-hmm. switched over mm-hmm. to to Granite Hill Homestead. And um, I was on the edge of my seat watching your experience recently with a wildfire. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit of an overview about that? Um, yeah, so I think it was September 7th. I think it was the 7th. We um, had a wildfire come through our canyon here. We live in a very tiny canyon in Hemet, California. And um, that afternoon, just out of nowhere, it sparked up. And I saw it coming over, the smoke coming over the mountain. And within just a few minutes, we saw the flames and knew we had to to get out. That was actually our second wildfire. And I think that's what, as strange as it sounds, it, I was prompted immediately to record it. I don't think if I had, if this had been my first experience with a wildfire, I would have had the wherewithal to do that. But with this one, this was my second experience. And I just felt instinctively compelled to record and share because it's it's so important to to know firsthand what to do in these situations. So it was a great opportunity, you know, in the event of an emergency. Yeah. There are always jokes people say about uh, those who record when a disaster emergency is happening. And Mm -hmm. if it weren't for some of those recordings, we would not have some of the um, stories and evidence that we have for, for what goes on in emergency. So seeing the smoke, was that your first indicator that, that it was happening? Yes. Uh, We were actually napping. It was late in the afternoon and we had been napping. It was a holiday and uh, when I woke up, when I'd woken up from my nap, I, I noticed that it just seemed strange, even inside the home. The, it was very ominous and dark, which was odd for that time of day. And I thought, well, this is strange. I mean, I wonder if we're getting some, some storm clouds. So I walked outside to take a look, and immediately I saw the plumes of smoke coming over the mountain and just knew, oh, we've got a problem here. Right. Oh, I, I can only imagine. I mean, I've seen I've seen fires. I'm from the the west, um, but never have they come so close to me. I've played with a lot of fire when I was a kid, uh, but it was never so serious that I had to had to evacuate. Um, so, were there any other follow up notifications? Did you get alerts from Cal Fire or your local emergency management agency or any of that? There was nothing. Um, there was no alert, no nothing outside of just visually being able to see. Uh, what was going on. And um, that was disheartening to say the least, because I think when you see, when you're in a situation like that and you can visually see, okay, we have a problem. There's a massive plume of smoke on the top of the hill. You think, okay, I'm going to hear sirens and at any moment, you know, um, maybe I'll get a notification through my phone, something. And nothing like that came through for um, at least 10 minutes, which is a 
believe it or not, that's actually quite a bit of time in a situation like that. So um, I didn't lean on that because again, I could see visually what was going on. So I just kicked into high gear to do what I needed to do. But I know that, that, that those indications would have been helpful, especially like if we had still been napping, we would have had no way of knowing. Right. Um, bef- how long, basically, how long did you have from, from when you noticed something was happening till the time you, your house was in danger or would have been in danger or you would have been in danger if you hadn't left? Um, we had about 20 minutes, but the people, um, um, two miles up the road, two miles from us had less. And in oh. fact, those homes burned down and two people lost their lives. So oh my goodness. Yeah. That is crazy. When, uh, when you see a wildfire, do you feel like if you were to call 911, that would be beneficial? Or did you, do you know anyone who did call 911 or try to get notification up the chain that something was happening? Um, I have called 911 when I've seen wildfires in other areas. Um, and yes, it is beneficial. Most people do call immediately and they know. Um, and, sometimes, and sometimes you just, you're overwhelming the system when you're calling because right. they're, they've already got that information. In this situation, I did not call nine one one because I knew I knew that every, I knew everybody else. It had yeah, been of course. Yeah, I don't know how many car accidents I've I've um, seen or called in or helped with, and they're like, "Oh, you're calling about this one?" I'm yes, like, yeah. they're like, "We've had a hundred people call." Yes, I'm, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. So you had a previous experience. How do you, do you feel like that helped you to stay calm in this one? Because having gone through before and having had a plan, um, gave me peace of mind to just implement that same plan again. It worked once before, so I trusted it would work again. And I just went into that mindset of, of focusing and in trying to stay calm. That's not always easy because it is an emotional time, but um, that helped. The first experience, which we were somewhat prepared for. I mean, again, that was our first experience. So I think we learned a lot from that blue cut fire that we um, used to our advantage. And then sure. And, and it's what's interesting is that some people never go through something like that, this in their entire lives. And um, some people might go through it once. This was our second um, close call in just a few years. So, you know, I, I didn't go through that first experience thinking, oh, this will never happen again. I, I thought, well, if it does, I want to be as best prepared as I can be. And so that brought me some peace of mind in that moment of panic of, oh Lord, we've, we've got to go. Right. Some people say lightning never strikes twice. Right. It often does. That's why it it struck in one place once. It uh, it was for a reason that it struck there. And in a completely different area, because before we were we were an hour plus away from here, living in in a mountainous rural region, and we we moved away from there to um, a desert community, which um, it happened here too. So. Uh, so tell me about your plan. You said you had a plan. It worked in the first one. Tell me about your your plan, what, what goes into that, and, um, and basically how it made you successful. Well, um, we go with the uh, six Ps of preparedness always, which is just understanding in the event of an evacuation, what do we need to 
um, take care of first and foremost, and we just go down the line. So we have, you know, people, of course, and pets and um, our paperwork, uh, which is held in a portable um, filing cabinet that you can just grab and go. And within that has, you know, very important documents that can't be, um, you need original copies. So like marriage certificates, birth certificates, stuff like that. So it's not got a ton of stuff, but it has like the essentials that you need, copies of what we would need um, if the entire house had burned down. Um, Prescriptions, um, those are essential. Personal items are last. Um, I also say plastic, so credit cards, cash. Um, and then I throw in, you know, the pew pews as well, because if you have any, any, any of those, you want to make sure those are out of your home as well. That's right. I love it. Uh, it's good to have a, a system for basically establishing what, uh, what your priorities are. And in a central location too, so that you yeah. know exactly where they're at. You're not running around, you know, going through your garage, looking for your cat carrier, or, you know, you've got everything right where it needs to be. Grab and go. So how long did it take you to evacuate in, in each of these incidents? Uh, we actually have it down to where we can evacuate with our pets in under 12 minutes. Uh, we did ha- we did give ourselves a little grace this time, um, but we could have left. We left, I think we ended up leaving in 20, but we, we, we could have left sooner. Wow. What, uh, what animals do you have? What pets do you have? We have two cats and two dogs. Or two, one cat and two dogs, I'm sorry. Is it uh, difficult to shove them into a cage and get them going? Do they stay pretty calm or are they, do they sense that something's going on? The dogs stay calm. Um, they're obviously leashed before we walk out the door just in case. Um, the cat is a whole nother situation. So our cat could tell something was going on. And the first thing we did, um, fortunately, she was, she was in our home because she's an indoor-outdoor. She was in the home at the time. So the first thing we did is lock her in the bedroom so that she couldn't you know, get outside as we were moving everything around. And um, we were able to get her in the crate while we were in the bedroom. That's great. Uh, you never, you don't want to have to chase down a, a cat when you're trying to evacuate. Right. So you mentioned your neighbors. Yes. Did, did you have, did you notice any behaviors of your neighbors that impacted yours or did your behavior impact theirs when you made the decision to evacuate did that change anybody else's mind absolutely that was huge so a lot of people throughout the canyon have never been through anything like this before and the first thing that we noticed was um they didn't know what to do uh they they were of the mindset that well we don't hear sirens so we'll just wait um which is really unfortunate so we made it a point to go to two opposite sides of our property. Um, we have a pretty large piece of property, about two and a half acres, and started shouting through the canyon to people to, to go, go, go. Um, it's, that was faster than picking up your phone and texting and calling and doing all of that. So we did the best we could with just our voice in, in the shouting. And fortunately, um, the ones closest to us listened and followed along. A lot of them left because we ended up meeting at the bottom of the canyon. Um, A lot of them left with nothing but the clothes on their back. So, you know, fortunately they were safe and they got out, but um, yeah, that was interesting. Had you uh, determined ahead of time 
being at the bottom of the canyon as a, a meeting location or did that just kind of naturally people park there and they knew they're far enough away? Yes, um, that's always our first location to go to because even my husband and myself will usually take two separate cars um, to get out. And um, so what we'll do initially, which we did the first time and this time, is just get out of the area to a safe spot um, and that's where we'll regroup and discuss. Now, if that had not been an option um, for you know any other reason, we have a secondary location to meet up at, um, which is about seven miles from from here. Awesome. Since the incident, since the fire, uh, how have your interactions with your neighbors been? Has anything changed? Have you talked about preparedness? How did uh, the emotional toll? Uh, affect things as well? How are you dealing with with the loss of, of property and life in such a close area? Initially, I think that it was very humbling for a lot of people and there was a lot of camaraderie and discussion and um, and all of that is in, in gratitude, of course, when we, when we were able to get back. But even just a few weeks later, I feel like it leaves people's minds like, you know, well, that's over with. I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but it just seems that in the moment with the emotion and all of the stuff, of course, that's front and center. But then sadly, as it gets further away from people, I think they they lose sight of that. And um, I don't know. We'll see. I don't want this to happen again. But, you know, we try to lead by example, um, especially when we were all evacuated because we stayed in the same hotel. Um, where we could receive updates and and be with our neighbors, and they could see, you know, how prepared we were, um, that we had everything that we needed, and we didn't leave the animals behind, and and we hope to have served kind of as a role model in that aspect. But we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, um, I've seen this type of same thing too, where uh, they say fear is the best motivator or the most effective motivator, but it doesn't last. And I don't, I don't ever try to use fear as a motivator when I'm sharing things online. Uh, when I'm teaching classes, when I'm talking to people about preparedness, I really, really try not to, to use fear. I don't try to scare people. Um, but that is often what gets people interested in the first place in, in preparedness, mm-hmm. but keeping them, keeping them interested is, is another thing because when that fear is gone, the interest often leaves as well. Right. So from this experience, what was a lesson that, that you learned that for moving forward, something that you you learned from the whole experience and can implement into future planning? I learned two things, actually. I learned how um, even though an emergency like this can happen mm-hmm. at, at various times of the day, um, there's so many different factors that can be associated with it that will change that experience. But what doesn't change is your your ability to achieve the objective which is evacuating safely having the things that you need to do what you need to do that doesn't change one thing that i gained from this experience versus the first time because the first time i was a newbie i had never been through i was i was exactly in the same shoes as the people i was with this time and over time, because once you're evacuated and you're gone and you're able to kind of settle down and breathe, you're still away from your home for sometimes weeks. And 
there's a level of emotion because the, the the emotions change with that. You know, people are running out of money because they they didn't have enough set aside to pay for a roof over their head or to be able to eat food. So a lot of these people were becoming very panicked and desperate and angry. And you could just being associated and around that environment was um, for my husband and myself, it became very exhausting um, for our own mental health um, to the point we had to, we ended up stepping away and leaving um, just so we could maintain our own composure through that because you do a lot of different emotions. It's one thing to go through the first day, the first hour, but as time goes on, things change. And I wasn't really prepared for, for that in my own mental state uh, this time around versus the first time. So that's something that that I learned a lot from was just how the behaviors of people change pretty dramatically as the event unfolds over an extended period of time. What were some, some things that you did to uh, help your mental health or to decompress? Um get outside. Uh, so we were in a hotel for many days. Um, so we would get outside. We were obviously away from the fire location, so it was safe. Um, but we'd get outside in, in nature, breathe fresh air, take walks. Um, we went to go do laundry just at the laundry mat. We didn't even need to at the, that time, but it was just something that was kind of just the mundane things to kind of keep some level of normalcy. Um, those things were helpful. But we, we actually, you know, made it a point not to obsess over the reporting. So, you know, we would listen to the fire department and CAL FIRE and the reports in the morning, and we check again in the afternoon and then again before bedtime. But we did not sit with the scanner on. We wouldn't obsess over it because that will start to drive you crazy. Right. So. Yeah, you only have, you have control over so much. Right. Um, when you start to worry about the rest of it, it can really wear on you. I mean, on top of everything else you're you're concerned with and stressed about. Right. So, what uh, what tip or suggestion do you have for other people who who are in a wildfire prone area or who want to um, plan for this this type of incident? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can do to if you're to prepare for an incident like this. And it, it actually starts before the fire ever even happens. And that has to do with um, maintaining your, your property, first and foremost, you know, making sure that you have a line of defense around your property. Our home was actually used as a staging ground for Cal Fire because it was so clear, um, which was huge, you know, relief to us knowing that they were here on the property. But, you know, things like that, just maintain the perimeter of your home, keeping flammables away from your home, um, making sure you have a plan, an outline plan, not only for yourself, but for your animals or your livestock. Um, and again, you know, following those P's of preparedness and having what it is you need in a central location so that's very easily accessible uh, and you can grab and go. Um, those are all, and then the communication afterward, maintaining your your composure and your mental health um, as until you you go on to the next step. Yeah, the you you talked about the extended, uh, basically the extended response. This incident lasting days and sometimes weeks, mm -hmm. and a lot of people think about emergencies as uh, seventy two hours or something like that. Sometimes it's a couple hours, sometimes it's weeks, and 
um, you obviously you need to make sure you can meet your basic needs for, for at least three days. Yeah. But when it drags on and it's not so much about your basic needs, uh, uh, your basic food, water, shelter needs, it's about more of the emotional or you're just basically your life and your mental health, keeping that going. It, it can definitely make things stressful and complicated. Yes. Uh, so again, those, those six P's, you said people and pets, mm-hmm. paperwork, prescriptions, plastic, which includes cards or cash, mm-hmm. personal items like clothing, mm-hmm. et cetera, and priceless items. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for that tip. Uh, I want to, well, is there anything about the, the wildfire, that, anything else you want to share about the wildfire experience? Because there's something else I want to try on here. Um, not that I can think of, not off the top of my head. All right. That is an it, incredible um, experience. Thank you for sharing all of that. It was great following you. I, I, I was watching your stories as, as you're going through the experience and just, it was definitely an emotional experience and I could see your gratitude for, for the firefighters when they, they are on your property, checking it, making sure it's okay. But, but also looking after your neighborhood, um, just making sure that your own safety was, was, uh, a priority and looking out for your neighbors as well. Uh, that was definitely a good example that you set and, uh, following along and sharing that meant, meant a lot to us as well. Uh, so moving on, let's try to do something a little more fun. Okay. Um, so we, we, we talked a little bit before this and you mentioned one of your favorite movies is, is the Goonies. So, um, I want to, I want to do two things for this. Okay. One, we'll, we'll talk about preparedness lessons learned and then, and then I'm going to give you the the scenario essentially of what you would do as not one of the main characters, but we'll we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, so the one, the one character in, in the Goonies who was uh, the inventor, that was Data, right? Yes. And he's the Asian kid and he's got the trench coat and all these gadgets and uh, when I watched that movie, I was just thinking they would not have survived any of this without him. Exactly. Yeah. He had, well, he had the flashlights to begin with. The batteries died, um, but he was able to light the candles. He had his, uh, I forgot what he called it, but it was the teeth that he uh, used to hold him, keep himself from falling into the, the punji pit, yeah. uh, the spikes underneath, um, everything, all of that. So uh, having resources was definitely a uh, a big bonus for, for being prepared. What else, um, what else helped them in that? What other preparedness lessons did we learn from the Goonies? Oh goodness. The Goonies was the best because you had every personality imaginable as far as the characters go. And then you had just the, uh, the adventurous side of it as well, man. Um, what was the question? What, what, could you, what was the question? Yeah. What, uh, preparedness lessons learned or what, yeah. How did preparedness impact what they did? Or how could they have been more prepared? Oh gosh, this movie is so old. I can't even remember <laughs> most of it. They, um, I don't know. They probably shouldn't have shouldn't have gone into it to begin with, huh? <laughs> right. They, yeah. I guess. I guess thinking about it myself, I, they they didn't let anyone know that where they were going. That is true. Uh, Oh, they ended up in a, in a situation where they could have died many times. Many times, yeah. Didn't. They, they, you uh, know what, though? They supported one another. Each one of them yeah. had their own different personality, and but they all had something different to contribute. Yeah. Um, even it, if it, it was just a sense of humor, you know? Right. They all had something. Yeah, they. Th- you definitely have a higher chance of survival when you're working 
with other people. And yes. uh, you could see the the different the characters and he, how they even the same character reacted to different situations differently. They, 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 weren't, yes, they weren't just exactly. monolith characters. Um, so I think they could have packed a little more food. I remember Chunk in particular got pretty hungry. That was, that was a kind of a running joke in there. Um, that's yeah. funny. They had, that is actually, you know, I never really thought about it, but that is, that's a really great preparedness move. Maybe that's where I started <laughs> back way back then. Just yeah. That was, that's a great movie pack for some that. candles and accidentally pack a stick of dynamite too. Yeah. <laughs> they found Chester Copperpot's body and, and took everything from him. <laughs> uh, all right. So the second part of this, uh, um, from an outside perspective, if you're not one of the main characters, how are we going to deal with this? So professionally, I'm an emergency manager and I have to deal with the different emergencies, situations as they come up. So let's, let's imagine that you are an emergency manager in Astoria, Oregon. Uh, and uh, yeah, I don't remember the name of the county there, uh, but you start getting a, a little bit of uh, reports from, from things that are happening. Okay. First, you've got a regular event happening that day on the beach. You've got the third annual off-road vehicle rally. It's a major rally on the beach. So it's a um, just a special event that's on your radar. You have thunderstorms coming this afternoon, and then you have somebody escape from the local jail. It's not just anyone. It's one of the Fratelli crime family who escapes, and this starts a police chase throughout town. Okay. Shots are fired. Uh, there's a lot. Uh, a lot of people are calling in to 911 scared, and all of this is happening. You start working with federal investigators who uh, who are come to town, and, and they're, they're going to go look for the Fratellis, you hear from the sh sheriff that you haven't heard anything from them. And then you start getting calls that they're missing children. So if you were the emergency manager in this town, and you, I mean, this isn't a test, you can just do whatever you want. We'll, we'll pretend. Uh, what are your priorities? What are your concerns? What questions are you going to ask and try to figure out? The, you said there's missing children? Yeah. So so somebody's parents said, hey, my, my kids went on some... Possibly, you know, it's an adventure. It's the last, you know, the last Goonie weekend. Uh huh. But they haven't come home yet. The sun's gone down. I, and um, one of the moms sent the older brother off to find them. Other families are saying, hey, my kids are missing. I don't think they were with them. My daughter's gone. She was with uh, Troy, who is the, uh, the son of the country club rich guy. Uh huh. And he hasn't seen her in a while either. Uh -huh. So now you've got a, a missing children case in the, t in the city as well. Okay. Um, so the, so you said the, uh, the higher up police officers are handling the, the, the chase or the, the person that escaped, right? So they've got that under control. Yeah. The, 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 there were two federal agents who came to town to work the investigation and they actually went to investigate, but you haven't heard anything back from them, which may or may not be, uh, the normal. You might have, um, uh, you know, they might go off on their, on their own and, and just not report back to you till the, till the next business day. Um, in the movie, we, we know that they went to the, uh, to the restaurant and were killed by the, uh, by the Fratelli family. And one of them was put in the freezer or chunk found him, but, uh, we don't know that from the outside. Uh, and then the, they're missing children and there's some plumbing and pipe issues that happened as well around the country club. One of the issues causes a car accident. So we've got some. Um, 
these all seem seem to be separate events, but they're definitely spreading the resources pretty thin. Mm-hmm. So how, how are, what are you going to prioritize? What's going to be your major concern? And um, yeah, what are your what are your priorities in this situation? I don't know. I, the kids would be my priority. Yes. All right, that makes that <laughs> that makes sense. All right, so let's say you you get a hold of of the parents mm-hmm. that have called, and they said the group of kids, the, all the boys, are probably together, mm-hmm. plus the older brother, mm-hmm. and then there are the two girls, the teenage girls, um, who may have been with them. They were with with Troy, the the rich kid, earlier. Mm-hmm. And in the movie, we learned that Troy goes, he's at the wishing well. You remember that part where they, he throws down the, the coin and they throw it back up and they're down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Apparently he never reported that because they would have, they would have sent people <laughs> down into the well, uh, rescue team into the well to find these kids and they would have, uh, would have found somebody. Um, so he just keeps quiet about it. Oh yeah. Yeah. This girl I like and, and everyone else are down stuck in a well. I think Hi. we're just going to keep quiet about that. <laughs> But here's the here's here's a part that um, that that your jurisdiction is going to be accountable for. The sheriff receives a call from the Lighthouse Lounge restaurant from Lawrence or Chunk, and he re- is reporting a, a murder. And the sheriff says, "Is this another prank call?" <laughs> and you know, because Chunk is is uh, known for tall tales and stories right however he did mention the fratellis before the call was disconnected yes and nobody is sent to the lighthouse lounge but you're starting to to think that maybe there is something up and uh, you've prioritized these kids so it's now it's getting late into the night how are you going to start looking for for these children or what what resources are going to try to try to deploy to help find these kids uh, community. <laughs> I'm reaching out to the community. I mean, if, if I didn't have a lot of assistance from law enforcement because everybody was busy doing something else, I would be reaching out to people within the community and in certain areas to coordinate that way. That's a great idea. That's, um, you know, we, we know it being, pre- being prepared that there comes a point when, when even if you call 911, you may not be able to get the help that you need. Right. And uh, so let's, yeah, so let's say the, the resources are stretched thin. We've got community members going out. They're probably also parents are coming to us. Um, and today, and not in 1985, but today, you'd have people on social media talking about it. Speaking of media, you also have the media coming. All the news stations are hounding you. You've got missing kids. You had a, a, a prison break earlier today. Yes. All of this happening. Finally, just after sunrise, you're with the sheriff in the emergency operations center, and you get a radio call from uh, two officers who are patrolling the beach. And they say, we found the kids and we're all headed out to find them. So, so fortunately you found them. Uh, nobody believes their story at first, but you're going out there. You see the kids, you bring the family out. You've got a, a van you can drag them out in, uh, drive them out in. And uh, you do some family reunification. You've got everybody together. And then you have two other incidents that happened. The Fratellis show up. So you, the sheriff's arresting them. And then you've got this guy from the country club who is suddenly there and he's got to have this foreclosure paper signed right now. Um, so you've, you've got some things happening. But then 
the gems show up. Um, you know, spoiler right here. So they get gems. They get to keep the house. Yes. Now, now here's the biggest the biggest uh, question that I have. At the end of the movie, you see the ship sailing away in the ocean. Right. What are you going to do about that? That's never addressed <laughs> in the movie. But now you've got the ship with with who knows how much money and gold and gems on it. What are you going to do? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, oh, gosh, man. I call the Coast Guard. You send out local fishermen to go after it. I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to let let that go. Oh man, no, it's a. <laughs> I I wanted to take a story that you knew and then look at it from a different a different perspective. Uh, this is one one thing that we do in in emergency management or emergency preparedness is we try to look at different situations, go through a scenario, and you know you've been through two wildfires, yeah. and if you are planning to do an emergency drill mm -hmm. for your home. Now you've got uh, resource material from the two incidents you've been in, a timeline, uh, different potential scenarios, uh, contacting your neighbors, trying to get, it, get information, but also give information to other people. Mm -hmm. And you're working through, you're working through all of these scenarios. You could just do a drill or an exercise for yourself and your family. Uh, so what we you know, what I wanted to do with that movie is basically give you something that you're unfamiliar with, which would be the emergency management side. And I think you did a fantastic job, um, especially with priorities. Priorities are just like just like your um, six P's, the first priority of people or pets. And in this situation, you have a bunch of missing kids. And that would be the number one priority is life safety, uh, just yes. like in any in any disaster. Uh, and then later comes the gold and, and jewels. <laughs> we get to, we get to that in the end. Yeah. Um, so I, I really just want to say thank you for sharing your your experience, um, for for being willing to 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 do that tabletop exercise or the scenario with me for the Goonies, <laughs> um, but also in 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 the in the incident, being able to be vulnerable and and share what you were going through in the moment. It was very raw and vulnerable, and um, I, I I value that as an outsider uh, because. It did teach a lot of valuable lessons. I think anybody who watched that um, could could see what you're going through and feel a little little bit of what you're going through, but also just put themselves in your shoes for just a second and say, "What would I do in that situation?" and and it gave people something to think about, uh, looking at it from the outside. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to. Now, when people want to find you, you at Hill Homestead. Yep. Your little homestead there. That's the best place to find you? Yep, that is the best place to find me. I'm, I don't do much on other outlets. Yeah, I don't either. A little bit, except here at the podcast. I'm starting that. So. Well, this is great. This is great. I'm looking forward to it. You are the first interview I've had on here. And Yay. Well, I'm looking forward to, to listening to many more. Thank you. Thank you. I learn a lot from you, too, and I know that a lot of other people do as well. Thank you. Thank you. It's kind of you to say. Uh, so you can find Jenna at Granite Hill Homestead. And this is Preparedness Works. 